if you have been uh, going through the Bible reading, scripture reading from the beginning of this year, from uh, January till about now, and if you decided to read through the whole Bible in a year, probably around this time you're going to be reading a bunch of chapters where you're probably scratching your head and wondering why are these chapters in the Bible? You might be reading some of these chapters and wondering what is the significance of all of these things, particularly in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, and it talks about a number of things, particularly what we're going to be talking about today called the tabernacle. And uh, there's a lot of detail in those chapters. There's a lot of things uh, that are covered in those chapters with the measurements of the tabernacle. And I'm thankful for our team that's built this beautiful tabernacle that's here. Now, it's not built to scale. And it's not built with all the exact specifications that are in uh, the, the, the chapters there. But there's a, a lot of things here that we're going to look at for the next few weeks as we study uh, Emmanuel in the tabernacle. Today in particular, we're going to be looking at uh, the altar, which is the first piece uh, here called the, uh, the brazen altar. And I've titled this message, Emmanuel on the altar. Okay. Because actually, as we look to what all of this signifies and points forward towards Jesus, we'll actually see that Emmanuel was on the altar. Now, when God gave all of these instructions and all of the particular things in order for the tabernacle to be made, he gave it with one specific desire and one specific motive and one specific intent, and that was he wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to have a relationship with his people. He wanted to know his people. And that's why in Exodus uh, 25, it says this, then have them make a sanctuary or a tabernacle for me, and I will dwell among them. I will be with them. Isn't that one of our deepest desires as well, is that God would dwell with us? That God would be with us in the good times and bad times and in difficult times and in times of, of joy, in whatever situation we might find ourselves, that God would be with us. In, in, in a, uh, a couple of chapters later in chapter 29, he says, uh, he says this, offer them in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle entrance, talking about some of the offerings. There I will meet with you and speak with you. I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence. Then I will live among the people of Israel and, and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord, their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. Can you see here over and over again in this passage, it's all about God being with his people over and over again. It's about God dwelling amongst his people. And so today we're going to look at a, 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 the altar, but I want to just trace through a, a few other uh, parts. So if you would come into the tabernacle, now the tabernacle was surrounded by curtains. You had to go through a, um, a doorway in order to get to the tabernacle. So all of that is not depicted here in our, in our model. Uh, but as you enter the tabernacle, the first thing that you'll see is this altar, which is called the altar burnt offering, or sometimes called the brazen altar. And for fire regulations, this is not exactly what it would look like because you would have fire coming out of this. Right? Because what would happen, the priests would be here, the people would come and they would bring their offering, they would bring their sacrifice, they would kill the animal, they would put the animal on the brazen altar on, or the uh, altar of burnt offering and the uh, animal would be, or the offering, the grain offering, the whatever it might be that you were giving to the Lord would be burnt up. 
Then you would come to this place called, it's called the wash basin, or in some versions of the Bible, it describes it as the laver. And the priests would come and they would wash their hands and their feet in uh, this uh, wash basin before they would come into what's called the holy place. So this area here is, is called the outer court. Okay, and this area here is called the the holy place and the area over there is called the most holy place. So the priests needed to wash themselves and cleanse themselves. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about this wash basin and they need to wash themselves and cleanse themselves before they could come into this holy place. And when you got to the holy place, then there was three other things that were there in the holy place. There was this uh, this this table here that's called the bread of the presence. Okay, and the priest, this was the food that the priest would eat when they would come to the most holy place. And they always had to have fresh bread that was there. This looks a little bit tempting, but I'll resist for now. But they had some bread that they could always eat. Then there was this candlestick that was there and that would be lit at all times. They always had to come and light, keep the candlestick lit. That was the, the light that was in here. You're getting a cross-sectional view of what it would have looked like. But otherwise, there would have been all of these um, curtains and fabric that was there. So the only light inside here would be the light that came came from the candlestick. And then you have another altar, which is called the altar of incense. And they were commanded that incense would always be burning on this altar. Incense would always be there on the altar uh, that would give up a sweet fragrance to the Lord. And so if you were, if you were just a, a regular Israelite, you could come into this outer court area and you could come and see what things were here. You had to be a priest, a son of Aaron, to be able to come into this what's called the holy place. And then you had to be the high priest to come into this, what's called the most holy place. And the high priest could only go in there one time in the year. And in this Ark of the Covenant, when we get to this at the end of our series, we'll talk about the Ark of the Covenant and what it represents. And there are some things that were kept inside the Ark as well. But the high priest could come into that place only once in a year. And they would be able to uh, come there to make atonement for the, the sins of the people. And they would come particularly in, in that place in, in a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so there's all these different things. We'll, we'll get through that. We're going to journey through this tabernacle in the next six weeks and some of these important uh, items. There's lots of other things that was in the tabernacle. These are some of the major items in the tabernacle that we're going to look at uh, in this series. So you might ask yourself, okay, well, what does this tabernacle actually represent? Or why does it mean? Daniel, why are you taking time to talk about all these things? Why did the Lord take chapter after chapter after chapter in the Old Testament to talk about some of these things? Well, primarily, number one, it foreshadows, it looks towards, Jesus, our true tabernacle. It, it points forward to uh, depicting who Jesus is. And it was forced, all of these things in this tabernacle is foreshadowing towards our true tabernacle. The second thing is, it's our, it represents our spiritual journey. And so as we go from, from altar to to uh, wash basin, to table of shorebread, to candlestick, to the altar of incense, and finally to the Ark of the Covenant, we're going to be talking a little bit about our spiritual journey that takes us from one place to the next place to the next place. And finally, and this is, this is something that we're not actually going to be able to get into in this series, but if you want to study this in a little bit more detail, it actually represents eternity. It actually represents a little bit of what is going to come. And we don't have time in this series to go into all of those details. But if we look at a couple of verses in John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
Okay, this is why we say that the tabernacle represents Jesus. It's because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This word actually dwell is the word tabernacled. So you can say uh, that Jesus came and tabernacled in our midst. Jesus came and lived in our midst. The same way that in, Je- in Exodus 25 and verse 8, the Lord's desire is that we would dwell, that he would dwell with us in that very same way when Jesus actually came, he tabernacled with us. His presence was with us. He was there. So the tabernacle points towards Jesus. The tabernacle also points towards our spiritual journey. Because in 1 Corinthians it says, don't you realize that all of you together, all of us together are the temple of God or the tabernacle of the Lord. And that the spirit of God dwells with us. And so as we journey through the tabernacle, you'll see how some of these things in the tabernacle are representative of our journey with the Lord and God making all of us the temple or tabernacle of the Lord. And the one that we won't get into in this series, um, but again, if you want to study a little bit more, Francis read this first from uh, Hebrews chapter 9. It talks about how the tabernacle was pointing towards the things in eternity. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which was, were copies of things in heaven. This was just a type and shadow of what was actually in heaven. When God was explaining to Moses what to make, he was actually telling him to make something that was similar to what was in eternity. The real things are in heaven, had to be purified by a greater and more perfect sacrifice. The things in this physical tabernacle were purified by the the blood uh, of animals, physical animals. But the things in heaven were purified by the blood of Jesus, the greatest and most perfect sacrifice. So when we look at the, the, the altar of offering or burnt offering today, what are some of the things that I think are really important? So I'm going to give you a few things that I think are really important for us to understand as we walk into the tabernacle. The first thing is this, is that the altar is a recollection of God's kindness in humanity's rebellion. The, uh, the altar is a recollection of God's kindness in humanity's rebellion. Because as soon as you come into the, the tabernacle, the first thing that you see is this altar of burnt offering. And it was a reminder to, to, to the people what happened in the Garden of Eden. The very first time that an animal had to lose their life. Because when they came into the tabernacle, they had to come with some type of sacrifice. And the very first time that an animal had to lose their life was when Adam and Eve sinned and they realized their nakedness and God had to kill an animal in order to clothe Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, it says this, and the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. That an animal actually had to die so that they could be covered. The, 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 as soon as you walk into the tabernacle, it was a reminder when you saw that, that altar that was burning with fire and, and, and all of the blood that was around and all of the killing that happened, it was a reminder of God's goodness in the midst of rebellion. That God would choose to care for Adam and Eve even though they grieved his heart. That God would choose to clothe Adam and Eve and care for them even though they rebelled his commandment. That was the kindness of God. In Romans chapter 2, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Friends, when we come to this altar, we've been singing throughout the day today about the Lord, our salvation. So many of the songs are centered around God, our salvation. 
And so as we think about that, we come to this altar and it's representative of the finished work of Jesus on Calvary, that he is our salvation. And so it points us back towards the Garden of Eden, that in rebellion, in sin, yet God was kind to Adam and Eve. And how many know that God is still kind to us even in our sin? As you come into to the altar, another thing that uh, you do is it's not just for sacrifices for sin. It's actually sacrifices for uh, thanksgiving. If you had something you wanted to praise the Lord for or thank the Lord for, you could offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In Leviticus, I won't take time to read all the verses. You can see it on the screens. You can also see it in our notes page online. But in Leviticus, it talks about a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving that, that can be offered. See, as, as you think about the Garden of Eden, if you look at the way the tabernacle is made, it actually really points towards the Garden of Eden. The outer court here that anyone could come to, any of their children of Israel could come to, could represent Eden, the area where Adam and Eve was. The holy place can represent the Garden of Eden, the garden that God planted in Eden, where God wanted Adam and Eve to be. And the most holy place the tree of life, where God gave free access to Adam and Eve to eat and experience true and abundant life, which when they sinned and rebelled against God, they had to be kicked out of the garden so that they could not have free access to the tree of life. And what did God put in front of the garden to block the way to the tree of life? Two cherubims. Do you know what was actually on this curtain here? On this curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place, on this curtain that separated the place where only the high priest could go to from where the priest would go to, there were actually cherubims on that curtain. And so when, when the priest would come, they would see those cherubims. It was a reminder to them, just like there were cherubims placed in front of the Garden of Eden, protecting the way to the Tree of Life, guess what? There were cherubims there protecting the way to the Ark of the Covenant to where the real presence of God was. And so you can see this depiction of the Garden of Eden here, even in the tabernacle. And praise be to the Lord that one day we are going to eat of the tree of life again in eternity. Why? Because when Jesus died, that curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn into two. Showing that a way into the most holy place was made. A way to come to the Ark of the Covenant. A way to come to the tree of life was made again. And we can enjoy that today. Number two, the altar is a reminder of the covenant with Abraham. As they came to this altar, and as they saw this lamb that, or whatever animal, the goat or lamb, or whatever animal that they brought to the altar, it was a reminder of their forefather, Abraham, the one that God initially made a covenant with. When God made that covenant with Abraham, it passed down to, uh, to Isaac, it passed down to Jacob, it passed down now to the children of Israel. And it all stemmed in Genesis chapter 22 when God told Abraham this, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. That's what this was for. This was the altar of burnt offering. Go and sacrifice your son Isaac as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. See, when you walked into the tabernacle, when the children of Israel walked into the tabernacle, it was a reflection forward of some things to come, but it was also a reflection back to the Garden of Eden and also to what the covenant that God made with Abraham. And so that all of these things that they were doing was all because of covenant theology. All of the things that they were doing was stemmed out of this covenant with Abraham that would pass down to Isaac, to Jacob, and now to all of the children of Israel. 
It was called the Old Covenant. And praise be to the Lord that because of Jesus, we are now living in the time of the New Covenant. In Genesis 22, this is the covenant. I won't read all the verses again, but here's the covenant that God makes with Abraham, saying, I will bless you and I will bless your descendants. And guess what, Abraham? Through you, all of the children of the world will be blessed. Do you know what he meant by that? When he said all of the children of the world, everyone in the world will be blessed because of you, Abraham, is because Jesus was going to come from the lineage of Abraham. And because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross, he would bless all of the people if we would come to him. See, friends, as you walked into this tabernacle and you saw the first thing, that altar, that altar burnt offering, you were reminded of God's goodness when the first animal was killed, that God killed to, to cover Adam and Eve's sin. You were reminded of the time when Abraham had to offer his son Isaac on an altar. And thanks be to the Lord, God stopped Abraham at the last minute and said, Abraham, I see that you're willing to obey me. Don't kill your son. Here is a goat and you, or a ram. You kill this ram as an offering instead. And there was a realization of the covenant that God was making. Number three, the altar is a recognition that sin has a cost and an effect. The altar is a recognition that sin has a cost and an effect. Sometimes we think, oh, that's just a small sin. It's not going to bother anybody. Well, that's a really big sin. I can't believe he did that. Realize, friends, that sin has a cost and it has an effect. And we have to realize before we come to the good news of, of, of over here, before we come to the amazing things that what Jesus does on Calvary, we are over here first and we're seeing that sin has an effect because when you come, if you've sinned and if you've hurt, grieve the Lord and you have to make an offering for your sin, you come with a lamb, you come with a goat, you come with whatever animal is prescribed, uh, doves, pigeons, whatever it might be, you come and you bring your sacrifice to the altar here and guess what? Somebody dies. Somebody dies. This animal dies. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. None of us are good. We all have sinned in some way or form. And realize that our sin has an effect for the people, children of Israel, as they came with their offering, they realized that because of what I did that was wrong, this animal must die. And Isaiah says this, that it's our sins that have cut us off from God. It's, it's our sins that have separated us from God. And therefore, there has to be a way to overcome that and come back to the Lord. This verse that's, that's often quoted and known, I think, is very, becomes very real in the tabernacle when it says, the wages of sin is death. Who's dying here? These animals. Whatever animal you bring, that's dying on the altar. Because the wages of sin is death. But the, the best part is, the second part to this, is that the, the goodness of God, the gift of God, the kindness of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We all can partake of that goodness and that kindness. We all can receive of that forgiveness because of what Jesus has done. See, it says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, there was a necessity of, for blood to be shed so that there would be forgiveness. And so the animals were brought and they were killed and they were slain right there in front of the altar so that people could be forgiven. And Jesus came down from heaven to earth and came to Calvary and died on the cross for you and for me. 
and shed his blood so that you and I can be forgiven, so that you and I can taste of that free gift of God, which is eternal life. Number four, the altar, the altar is a realization of our need for humility as we confess our sins. The altar is a realization of our need for humility as we confess our sins. See, because when, if, you were, if you were coming to the, to the tabernacle with your sacrifice, what were people probably thinking? Hey, Jesus bringing another lamb. What did she do now? Jesus going again to the altar? What did she do? I saw Kisa doing that. I, tomorrow, I know where she's going. <laughs> right? There was, a, there was a need for humility. Now, there was other offerings that were offered, but probably the gossipers are all thinking it was sin instead of thinking Kisha's going to offer a sacrifice of praise. But there was a need for humility. Because when you came to the altar... And when you brought your sacrifice, you would place your hand upon the altar. And we see from what the high priest would do on the, on the day of atonement, the high priest would confess the sins of the people. And more than likely, when, when, a, when a, an Israelite would come, they would lay their hands on the, on the lamb or on the goat or whatever they were offering, and they would make their confession to the Lord. They would offer that sacrifice. When you become aware of your guilt, it says here in Leviticus, in any of these ways, you must confess your sin. Make a confession. Confess your sin. Confess what you had done. There was a time when there was a man named Achan, and he rebelled against the Lord because he did something that he wasn't supposed to, and a whole curse came upon all the children of Israel. And finally, Joshua found out. The Lord led Joshua, and then Joshua told Achan this, confess to me, tell me now, Achan, what you have done. It takes humility for us to come to a place of acknowledgement and confession. It takes humility for us to be able to say, I was wrong, or I sinned. Please forgive me. Can we do that? You see here, uh, this is during the Day of Atonement, and we'll talk about the Day of Atonement when we come to the, the Ark of the Covenant, but the, the high priest would come with the sacrifice, and he would lay his hands. It says he would lay his hands, both his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all of the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. And so there was a confession that was made. Friends, I want to encourage you sometimes, praise be to the Lord, as it says in, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But sometimes, as Pastor Leonor was talking about mentorship and walking with someone, sometimes uh, there's a need for us maybe to confess to someone else so that we can really get the help that we need so that we can be able to overcome what we're actually struggling with. And maybe that's the role of a mentor or a pastor or a trusted friend that you can share something with that will walk with you, that will pray for you, that will journey with you. We see that happening here at the, at the, the altar of burnt offering where there was a vulnerability that was there. When they came with their sacrifice, they came with their sin and said, I have done wrong. I need to make a sacrifice. I need to do something so that I can be forgiven. And thanks be to the Lord that Jesus is the perfect and living sacrifice for us. We'll get, that, get to that in the next point. But sometimes we need the help of others so that we can overcome what we're going through. In James, he says it like this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for 
each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Is there something that you're going through in your life and you're continually failing? Is there something that you're going through in your life and you're not able to overcome and it's just something over and over again? Is there a discouragement? Is there a trial? Is there a difficulty? Whatever it might be, God has put us in family. God has put us in a community so that we can love one another, support one another. And whether that's in a life group community or that's in a mentorship community, whatever it might be, friends, I want to encourage you that not to keep struggling with the thing that you're struggling, but seek help so that you can overcome and allow the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to help you in your time of need. Whatever that might be, let's come to Emmanuel because he's with us. And lastly, the altar is a revelation of Calvary as it foreshadows, as it points towards Jesus' atonement and the new covenant. This is the most beautiful thing about this altar of burnt offering is that it points forward to what Jesus has done for us. It points forward now that we are 2,000 years later than from Jesus' sacrifice, we can look and see the beauty of how God weaves the story of the Bible. I love preaching from the Old Testament because I love to see how God does things in the Old Testament that foreshadows to what God does in the New Testament, that it's one unbroken story that is woven together in such beauty and intricacy. It's one amazing story to tell all about the culmination of Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me. It writes a beautiful story that tells about the, the fall of man and the redemption of Jesus Christ for us that brings us to himself. This is the beauty of the story of the Bible. In Isaiah 53, this was prophesied way before Jesus was even born. And it talks about the suffering servant. It talks about Jesus, how he was crucified. I won't read all the verses. You can read it for yourself or, or take notes on it and, and look at it at home. But in Isaiah 53, it's a prophetic, messianic story. Uh, uh, chapter that talks about how Jesus came and all of the things that we read in the Old Testament it, it points us forward towards all these little details actually in fact let me tell you right now because there's going to be limited space Monday Thursday of Easter week I'm actually, I actually invited a messianic rabbi to come and teach us and demonstrate for us a Seder meal and so we're going to participate in a Seder meal downstairs. We'll, we'll put out a registration soon um, because there'll be limited space. But we'll be able to see from the Passover and from the intricacies of the Passover how that points towards Jesus' sacrifice for us. How that points forward to what Christ has done for us. He was slain. He was a lamb led to the slaughter. As it says here in Isaiah 53, he was that lamb that came here to the altar, led to the slaughter for you and for me so that we can be redeemed, so that we can find life. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read these verses as part of the scripture reading, but I want to just highlight a couple of verses from that passage. It says here, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time, secured our redemption forever. See, Jesus was that lamb that, that traversed all of these places and came to that most holy place. Remember, these are just pictures of things that are actually in heaven in eternity. And Jesus came as uh, he was the offering that came to offer himself to say, here's my blood to cover the sins of humanity. And he came to the Father to buy redemption for each and every one of us. This is the work of Calvary. This is the work of Jesus. This is the work of salvation as we've been singing about today that it points forward to what Jesus has done for us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. And if we come to him, he'll forgive us and cleanse us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We see that so beautifully in this pattern of the tabernacle. Our, our sins deserve death. And in the Old Testament, they could pass their sins over by laying their hands on and confessing, pass their sins over to an animal, and then that animal dies in their stead. But every time they had to keep coming over and over and over again, as we read in Hebrews 9, they had to come over and over and over again to offer another sacrifice. I know about you, but I'd go broke with sacrifices for all the sins I need to offer. I'd be coming every day, a few times a day, with a few animals. I need to have a whole farm, and they would have to be having animals as well, just to pay for all the sins that I did. But Jesus, with one offering, and at one time, died for us, and his sacrifice pays the penalty for all of humanity. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Remember, there was this old covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where the children of Israel failed and failed and failed. And we don't have time to get into it, but there's this new covenant that God makes with his people, not by the blood of those Old Testament sacrifices, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. He makes a new covenant with us. It's a new covenant that he says, that he tells us that your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. And I will give you a new heart and a new mind. And I will put my laws into your heart and into your mind. And you will serve me. See, God does this beautiful work in the new covenant because of the blood of Jesus. And I'll close with this verse and the worship team can please come up. In Hebrews 9, it says this, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands. Not this holy place, not this most holy place that was made with human hands. And really skilled human hands. No, not into that, but which was only a copy. That, these places here, these physical places here that Moses made the tabernacle, they were just a copy of the, true, of the one that is in heaven. But Jesus entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. But now, once and for all, one time, not so many times, not many times like the children of Israel had to do, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Friends, we're going to sing this song right now called, O Come to the Altar. And I want to invite you, as today's topic is the altar, I want to invite you to come forward to this altar here. I know everyone might not be able to fit, but whatever we can fit from all the way over there to over here, it's a step of humility. You might not be used to doing this. But I want to ask you, if you have something to confess, if you have a sin that you're asking the Lord, Lord, I, I want you to forgive me, take that step of humility and come to the altar. If there's something that you're struggling with, if there's a healing that you need, if there's something that you've been asking the Lord, Bring that to the altar. 
If there's a sacrifice of praise that you want to give to the Lord and just your heart is full of gratitude, well, can I ask you to bring that to the altar because there were thanksgiving offerings that were offered on this altar? But the most important thing is for us to respond. Take that step to come to, it's a step of humility. Lord, Lord, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. I have never gone up front while the service is going on. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to do. Just take that step because Emmanuel is in the tabernacle. The presence of Jesus is here and he wants to meet with you. Do you want to meet with him? Do you want to know his presence? Come to the altar. Come to the altar with open arms, with empty hands. And say, Jesus, I need you. Be reminded of what he did in the Garden of Eden, the goodness of God. Be reminded of the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Be reminded that our sin has a consequence. But be reminded as well that Jesus paid it all for us. And we can enjoy eternal life with him. Can I invite you to stand right now? And and as our worship team starts to sing, I want to invite you just to come forward to the altar.